year worse than she was the year before. But what happened out of that is that it has afforded us wonderful opportunities to speak to couples. I've had opportunities to speak in men's conferences and share our journey of faith that has inspired people and that has helped people in relational context. So again, as a student, I say, God, you put this thing together. And, and that's kind of what we're going with tonight. See, that's the true Christian position is simply say, God, I see your hand working, and you're doing things even when I don't understand it. You're working. You know, we believe so much in the sovereignty of God that when the hard times come, we believe that God is at work somehow, somewhere, in some way for, his, for our good and his glory. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know all things work together for good. Not all things will be good. But all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Not my purpose. My purpose is this. I'm allergic to pain, any kind of pain. I don't want it. So that's my purpose. But he calls us according to his purpose. And he takes all things and he works it together for his purpose. Again, as we begin this study, Paul gives us four positive benefits that difficulties have for us. So here's the first one. First thing it does is it draws us closer to the Lord. Problems, difficulties, draw us closer to the Lord. Paul says in verse 3 through 5, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. Some say, some versions say mercies. And the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. What does he mean there? Here's what he means. There is a divine purpose at work in our lives, and that divine purpose begins with God. Again, if I'm walking in covenant relationship with the Lord, he orders my steps. There is a divine purpose, and it always starts with God. Always starts with God. Paul calls him the father of compassion or the father of mercies. What is Paul doing? Paul is praising God for the mercy and the comfort that he and other believers have received. See, Paul knows firsthand what it is to be comforted during rough times. He knows what it's like. Remember, Paul is the one who said, in whatever state I find myself in, I've learned therewith to be content, whether I have plenty or I have lack, or he, he talks about his times of being uh, persecuted and You know, I mean, think about it. Here's a guy warming himself by a fire when a snake comes out and grabs hold of him. Paul said, I know how to be comforted. Verse 4, he says, I love what he says here, who comforts us in all our troubles. Nobody knows the trouble I see. Nobody knows my sorrow. He says, all our troubles, who comforts us in all our troubles. The word comfort is a word that we are very familiar with. The word comfort in the Greek is paraklesis, paraklesis. And it means more than sympathy, okay? It means to be there, to be there. Grab hold of what he's saying here because this is powerful. It's not just that somebody can feel sorry for us or maybe even have some sort of understanding of how we feel, 
paraclesis is, the word comfort is, they're there. They're there. The Holy Spirit is known as the what? The paraclete. The paraclete. The one called alongside, okay? So it's the same idea. It's the same idea. It means that no matter what my situation is, whether I'm up or down, sick or well, rich or impoverished, he is with me. It, plain and simple. He is with me. He, when I go through the deep, dark valleys of life, guess what? David said, I will fear no evil. Why? Thou art with me. Periclesis. Some of you remember, I don't remember if it was a Sunday sermon or a teaching that I did. I talked about the paraclete. And uh, Tom and Judy uh, Durrington actually went and got shirts made. They had T-shirts made. Paraclete. Had the dove and had the paraclete on it. And they wore it around. They've been wearing it. I've got one in my office, I believe, or I may have taken it home. Uh, and they were wearing it around. And it's, it, it became a conversation piece. People's like, what does that mean? And they began to tell them about the paraclete. The one called alongside to help. I mean, think about it. More often than not, we, we fail to comprehend the depth of God's compassion until we get into a place where we need God's passion, uh, compassion desperately. I mean, think, uh, again, we don't receive mercy until we're, we don't receive it or think about mercy until we get to that place where we truly need it. I read about a man that had been diagnosed with, uh, with a very serious form of cancer. When the doctor went in to tell him about this particular form of cancer and his diagnosis, he was almost at a stage four. How many know that if you go to the doctor and you have no idea and all of a sudden the doc comes out and says, I'm sorry to tell you, but you're at a stage three, almost four of cancer. How many know that's an eye-opening experience right there? So uh, after chemotherapy, of course, he went through this battery of tests and then his treatment after chemotherapy, he went into remission, remission. But his type of cancer is a sort of cancer that often comes back. And so you can imagine that you never really are at ease with life. Once you have that diagnosis, there's always a little fear of it coming back, right? Uh, so he was asked about how the cancer had impacted him spiritually. Again, I, I, I believe problems do one of two things. It either draws us closer to the Lord or it pushes us further away. And it really depends on how we respond to it. So he was asked about how this diagnosis had affected him spiritually. And he said, you know what? I, I honestly feel more relaxed now. I actually feel more relaxed. He said, things that used to bother me don't bother me as much. Cancer, uh, in his perspective, has clarified priorities of his life. All of a sudden, the things that he thought mattered didn't matter so much anymore. All of a sudden, the things that he thought were big, uh, that were a big deal were no longer big deals to him any longer. He remarked uh, that this has brought a clarity to him and that he actually has become a stronger believer in the sovereignty of God because he has walked through the cancer diagnosis. He believed that God was in control right down to the tiniest detail of his life. And here's what he said in conclusion. He said, I've come to see that sickness can sometimes be a blessing. End quote. How many of you know that's a hard thing to say right there? That's a hard thing to say right there. He said, I believe that sickness can sometimes actually be a blessing. You know, and the only way you can come to that conclusion is you understand that we are made for eternity, not for the temporal existence that we have here. That's the only way that you can do that. The Apostle Paul, I believe, would no doubt agree in the assessment of that man. Sickness is not fun. 
Sickness is not easy, and in and of itself, sickness can, uh, can, can be a horrible thing, but, but it also can be a channel for very much good in our lives because God can do things through those difficult days that he may not have been able to do. I did a sermon years ago called Desert Detours, and I talked about how when God led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he took them the long way around because there were things they needed to learn, and they could not learn them in a land of milk and honey. They had to learn them in a wilderness. And see, so many, of our, so many modern believers today want the land of milk and honey, but they want to avoid the wilderness moments. But they've got to learn in the wilderness before they can get to the land of abundance. We want to short-circuit that, and there, you can't. Sometimes those hard things are very they're difficult to handle, but they're beneficial to handle. Paul says that the comfort we receive is the same comfort that we share with others who go through similar situations. So now if a husband comes to me and says, you know, my wife is, and, and lays out what's going on with his wife, I say, you know what, man, I, I've walked through some deep valleys with my wife, and let me just tell you how God has always been there. See, that's not a one-upmanship. That's not one-upmanship. That's comforting others with the same comfort we also have been comforted with. That peace that God gave me that I've talked about on that Wednesday night, I'll never forget uh, that, that experience. I've never had that before, and I've never had it since. And it's never left me, by the way. I'm able to share that with people. I'm able to share that with a husband whose wife has been diagnosed with cancer. I'm able to share that type of, 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 of comfort because I've been comforted with that. He's been my ever-present help in time of trouble. He's been my peace in the midst of a chaotic life. He's been my peace and my anchor, and he'll do that. Paul said "Comfort the comfort that you and I have is what we comfort others with. See, things that we go through are not just for us to go through. You ever thought about that? The things we go through are not just to go through. There's a divine purpose behind it. See, God sets us up to be, com- to be comforted by him so that we in turn can be comforted other, to other people. We become part of that. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but we become part of the living stones of testimony for others to be able to look at and say, you know what, if God did it for them, he can do it for me. Remember, Hebrews 12 says, wherefore, seeing we're compassed by such a great cloud of witnesses, living stones, testimonies. We become part of that, and now we can comfort others. So the second thing is it equips us that kind of dovetails into it. It equips us to minister to others. You know, these difficulties come. It draws us closer to the Lord. We're comforted by him, but it leads to the second thing. Now we're equipped to minister to others. We now have a platform, if you want to call it that. I use that very loosely. But we, we, have, a, we have something that we can share with other people. See, I'm just convinced today people just need to hear our stories. I love when we do those cardboard testimonies. Remember those people that just come across stage and they, they, they share what they used to be, but with Christ, here's what they are now? You, you, you can't argue with that. That's the evidence right there. That's evidentiary right there to see someone who I once, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Paul says in verse 6 and 7, says, If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. Did you get that? If we're distressed, if I'm distressed, it's because it's for your comfort and your salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you shall share in our comfort. Now, 
That's a lot to say this. Paul looked at his, his sufferings, which were he had hardships, he, w- he had deprivation, he was imprisoned, he, was, he faced unrelenting opposition, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he faced death. And here's what he concluded. This is not just about me. It's not just about me. God's doing something in me to benefit others. There have been times in the last 29 years where I've gone to people that were going through some very difficult times. And I sat in their living room and I looked at them and I said, you know, I just need you to know that this may have nothing to do with you. And they get that puzzled look on their face. What are you talking about? I said, this may, have not, this may not have anything to do with you. But when God looks down and he says, you know what? I can trust John to handle this. And there are going to be people that are going to watch John. And I know John won't deny my name. Job. Job didn't ask for any of that stuff. How did it all happen? <laughs> it was his idea. Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the land. Sometimes it has nothing to do with us. God looks down. I, I, this is the way I look at my wife. You know, a lot of people see a frail, fragile lady, and she is physically. But, man, what a strong lady of faith she is. What an incredible lady of faith. You know, I never really thought much about that. Some of you might remember years ago, Joe, it's been several years ago, Joe Oden, one of my buddies, evangelist, was here preaching. We had a prayer time here in the altar, and I was standing there with him, and he he said, Pastor, go get your wife. And so I wheeled her over here in her wheelchair, and we're, we're, we're right down front here, right just front of that chair. And he knelt down beside her, and he took her hand, and he looked at her eyeball to eyeball, and I'm standing right behind her. And he said, Sheila, you, he said, people look at you and they see a frail lady who can't do anything. He said, but God wants me to let you know he sees a mighty woman of faith. And he said, you keep that demeanor about you and you go on. And, it, and, and for the fr- that, that light hit on, I thought, you know what? To smile the way she smiles and to be jovial all the time the way she is and having to deal with the lack of her life, you know, and, and I'm not saying this for any other reason than in the context of what I'm teaching. When, when, when I have events that I, I have to be at for uh, ministry, missions, or whatever it is, uh, we can't go off with in, most of the time with other pastor friends, couples, uh, because they're things that she requires, and we're just not able to do that, you know. So it's typically she and I that we hang out together, you know. When we're in a common area, we're together with our colleagues and ministry friends. But when they break off, we, we're not able to do that. We don't have that luxury anymore. And I think sometimes, you know, it's got to be heavy for her to carry that and to be burdened, knowing that there are things that she just can't do that we used to do. But then I thought. God sees a mighty woman of faith. And that smile and that laughter. I remember one time her doc said, she, she, she got tickled in his office. I said something, and I, you know, I just need to learn to keep my mouth shut. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I, I said something, and she started laughing, and he had, pro- he had not experienced that joy before. <laughs> and so we're her, her neurologist. So we're sitting in the neuro- neurologist's office, and she's just cackling. And he looks at me, and he says, here's what he said. He said, you know, I can give her a pill for that. And I'm like, I don't think so. In a world of misery and heartache and hurt, nah, let her laugh. Let her laugh. It's good. It may not do any, have any benefit for her, but it sure helps other people around her. We were joking with my, with my back, you know, hurting, and, and I said, I'm just going to kill over. What she do? She, she starts laughing. I'm like, you're laughing, and I'm going to kick the bucket, and she laughs more. But again, again, listen, Paul said, hey, not everything happens. Just It's not just for me. It's not just for me. God's doing something in me that benefits other people. Here's the thing. We never suffer alone. We never suffer alone. Someone is always watching. They're always watching. Our friends watch to see how we're going to respond to this tragedy. My prayer for 10 years is God help me to be strong so that others who see me can see my strength through you and not my weakness in the flesh. Oh, there are times I want to get mad. There are times I have a pity party. I was 46 years old when she became disabled. There are times I get frustrated. I think, God, help me to be strong. Help me to be an inspiration to others. That's what Paul Paul is talking about. People are watching us. If you identify yourself as a believer, please understand, people are going to see you. They're going to watch you. They want to know that if what you say you believe is enough in hard times. They want to know that. Again, there there are people that even, and, and that's just people around us, but they're people in a distance. They're watching to see how we handle things. Many people are unbelievers who watch us. They want to see if what we have is real. Because if what I have doesn't take me through the deep, dark valleys of life, then I don't have the real stuff. I can't have just Sunday go to meet in faith. I have to have faith that in, when everything's imploding in my life, I can still find the joy of the Lord. That's exactly what Paul's talking about. Our afflictions, what do they do? They soften our hearts so that when we receive the comfort of God, it's easy now to pass that comfort on to someone else. If you've battled with an illness, now you can talk to someone who is battling that illness. If you've had marital conflict, you're able now to minister to someone who's had marital conflict. If you've had children, uh, issues with your children as they've grown up, now you have opportunity to share with someone who's going through. That's the way the body works. Comfort others with the comfort you've received. It's so easy to be calloused. It's so, un- it's so convenient to be unkind. It's so easy to look down our noses at others who go through hard times. And, and there are people today, and God bless them and help them, but they carelessly say things like, you know what, just, just suck it up. Get a backbone. Why don't you quit complaining and just kind of get on with life? Oh, that's not what Paul would have done. Paul would have said, you know what, come on, let's talk about it. Come on, let's, let's, let's talk. Chuck Colson, I mean, think about him. Anybody remember Chuck Colson? Chuck Colson went to prison, and out of that prison experience, guess what? He founded Prison Fellowship. 
a ministry that has impacted untold numbers of people. How about Johnny Erickson Tata? Young lady, teenage lady, paralyzed during a diving accident, and out of her suffering came a worldwide ministry called Johnny and Friends that has touched millions of people battling with stuff just like that. Again, it should come as no surprise to us because the Lord's strongest weapons typically are forged on the anvil of adversity. God uses things like that. Many of us have hardened places in our lives that will not become tender until we go through the fire of affliction. It's just part of it. The third thing is it empties us of our self-reliance. Paul goes on in verse 8, says, I don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed, brothers, about the hardships that we suffered. Again, he was very, very honest with them. Again, this is a personal letter. He's like, look, I don't want you to be ignorant about all the things that we had to deal with in Asia. We were under great pressure. And he said, in fact, we were under so much pressure that it was really beyond our ability. We even despaired of life. I mean, you ever been to that place where you were so overwhelmed with the circumstances of life that you're like, man, I'm just done. Lord, come on. How many ever, played, how many ever prayed for the rapture to happen? In the middle of your crisis. That's, that's kind of what the idea here. You know, Ezekiel did the same thing. You know, he did the same thing, right? I mean, Elijah did the same thing. Elijah, remember? He sat down under a tree. That's what he did. He prayed, God, kill me. Take me out. I'm done. He said, we were in, we were in so much pressure that we even despaired of life. We had our hearts. We felt the sentence of death. But he, he goes on, he said, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, notice this, who raises the dead. So Paul's saying, look, even if we die, we're still comforted by the God who raises the dead. You know, again, we don't know the hardships that Paul went through, okay? Paul, so we don't know what he went through in Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, by the way. Uh, it may have been extreme opposition from the Jewish leaders. They were always taking pot shots at him. Uh, it may have been some sort of serious physical ailment. Um, whatever it was, the Corinthians knew about it. They, they knew what he was going through, and they understood uh, that Paul thought during this whole ordeal that he was going to die. He writes to tell of God's deliverance, and he asked them to continue in prayer, to keep praying. See, here's the thing. When tragedy strikes, when hardships come, or when friends turn against us, the bottom drops out, we wonder why things happen the way they do. Here's a, here's a great explanation. Hard times come to teach us not to trust ourselves, but only trust the one who raises the dead. That's it. Don't trust ourselves. I think most of us can handle the minor problems of life, right? Late work assignment, whatever. You know, we can clearly deal with cranky children most of the time, a grumpy boss, maybe the flu, you know, we kind of learn how to work through the normal bumps and bruises of life. But sometimes big things happen. And it's, how many's ever stripped the gear? <laughs> sometimes life happens and you strip the gears. And it forces us to our knees. And all of a sudden we're at a place where we are beyond, where we're, 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 all of our options are exhausted. We have no more help and trust in ourselves. So what do we do? We do what Paul said. We cry out to the one who's able to raise the dead. And at least to the last point is this. It reveals the true power of prayer. Again, hardships reveal the power of prayer. How does that happen? 
Well, notice verse 11. He says, as you, as you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. I, I, I love what he says there. That, that translation says, you help us by your prayers. Everyone has a ministry in the body by helping others with prayer. See, sometimes we don't know what to do to help others going through the fires of affliction. Paul said, thank you for your prayers. We were helped by your prayers. See, today we kind of, you know, Paul uses, in, 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 in that phrase there, he uses a compound Greek word that comes from, has three different meanings, with, under, and work. And, it's, and, and the idea behind it, how many ever watched a, maybe you've seen it in the Amish community when you visited uh, I know Sheila, you know, has gone with you to the Amish country a few times. And, uh, but when they do a barn raising, anybody ever seen how they raise those barns? Everybody gets under. They get under that barn. They get under that, that, that truss or whatever, and they lift it up together. See, that's the idea that Paul has here. Your prayers help me. You came under me. You got under me, with me, and we went up together. That's what we do in hard times. That's what we do when difficulties come, when we comfort others with the same comfort. Now we're able to come under with them and push up and lift them up in, in prayer. You know, again, the Amish literally get under the frame, lifting it up together and holding it up so it could be fastened into the right place. And in the same way, we unite and lift the burdens of life as we pray for each other. Listen, you, you may not be able to speak words of wisdom, and maybe sometimes you're, you're afraid to speak out and try to encourage somebody, but you can always pray for them. And even if you just say, you know what, Lisa, I'm praying for you. John, I'm praying for you. That's not a cop-out. Paul said, your prayers helped me. Your prayers did that. You know, many times we look at prayer as a last resort when it ought to be our first resort. I've often said when we get to heaven, I, and this is just my own brain working here, but I believe that we're going, to see a, we're going to see a distribution center up in heaven like we've never seen before, bigger than any Walmart distribution center. We're going to, one of the first things we get to do is we're going to walk through that place and we're going to look around and we're going to see the shelves stocked and we're going to walk down, walk down an aisle and see something like, ooh, I could have used that. And I believe the uh, Lord's going to say, oh, I, knew, I knew that. Before you were ever born, I created that to, to meet your need, but you never prayed for it. You never asked me. You never trusted me for it. What's that song say? How many things we, what is that? What a friend we have of Jesus. Uh, yeah, all because we don't take it to the Lord in prayer. How many things we needless, needlessly bear because we don't take it to the Lord in prayer. Listen, I know the prayer... Uh, that prayer sometimes seems futile because we think we need to do something. Don't ever discount prayer. Sunday morning, what a beautiful Sunday morning. That, the altars filled up Sunday morning in prayer. Seeing one another pray in the early service, people praying for each other. Down here in the 1045 service, seeing people pray and anoint with oil. Incredible. Don't discount that. That's meaningful. It's helpful. You know, the challenge is getting people willing to step out of their seat to step forward. God never asked us to do this by ourselves. He's given us a support system called the body. And if we'll avail ourselves to it, we will find much encouragement. Paul said, your prayers have helped me. See, knowing that other people are praying for us gives us strength to keep going. Again, the only, the only way that I could have dealt 
over the last 10 years with the life that, that we're living now is because I know people are praying for me. That's the only way. You know, it, it would have been very natural to kind of cocoon myself in, to withdraw from society, to feel cheated and, and all these other things. But your prayers have helped me. Your prayers have sustained me. Your prayers keep me going day in and day out. See, God has ordained that our prayers matter. Our prayers matter. Think about that. Doesn't mean you have to be a pastor for your prayers to matter. Doesn't mean that you have to be a Sunday school teacher for your prayers to matter. Do you know the number one reason that prayers are not answered? It's because prayers aren't prayed. Plain and simple. Prayers aren't prayed. Your prayers matter. I'm closing. It makes a difference whether we pray or not. Paul's saying, when I thought I was going to die, you prayed for me and God delivered me. Listen, I believe we'll never know until we get to heaven how many times the prayers of others have rescued us. I've told this story. It's been a while. I'm going to tell it and I'm going to close. Many years ago, I, I forget what year it was, maybe in the late 90s, early 2000s, my family and I, we had gone to Mobile, uh, Alabama to visit family. And we were on our way back uh, early morning on I-10. We had just, I just stopped in, uh, in Lafayette, Louisiana. We'd filled up, got a snack, and got back on Interstate 49, headed up to Shreveport to come on home. And the traffic was moving along pretty good that time of the morning. Uh, we was probably doing 65, 70, 75, 80, no. I mean, we were, <laughs> we, we, we were, uh, we, were got, we had to hammer down and we were going, we was coming home. I'm that typical male driver. I want to get there. So I'm driving. I just got back on 49, full tank of gas, full belly. Kids were full and we're, we're driving. And on my, I'm in the right-hand lane. On the left-hand lane, a truck passes me pulling a lawn equipment trailer, okay? Had his lawnmower. I guess they were going to their work that day, had their lawnmower and weed eaters and all that kind of stuff. And if you've ever driven on Louisiana roads, you'll understand this story. He hit a hole in the road. Louisiana's famous. You think Cleburne's bad. You ain't seen nothing. So he hits this hole in the road. And a two-gallon steel gas tank bounces out of his trailer and lodges right behind my driver's tire. Now, I'm driving 70 miles an hour, and I'm dragging this thing across a concrete interstate full of gas, and I just filled up. And so I finally could get the car to, to slow down, get it to a stop. I pull off onto the emergency, uh, the, the shoulder area. And when I get out of the car, my dad being a firefighter, I was raised at the firehouse. So when I get out of the car and I look down and I see what it is, it scared me. And so I get my family, I said, get out and run. And I told them to run as fast as they could away from the car because I truly thought that car was going to explode because I've never seen a steel anything drug across concrete and it not spark. And you could look back and see a trail of gas where that thing had punctured as it, down, the, down the freeway. And, and it was under my car. In fact, it was so lodged, I had to get a jack to jack up the front end to pull that thing out. Now, that guy didn't know anything about it. He was on his merry way, had no idea he'd lost it. 
I called my dad. My dad said, son, I, I've never seen that. I've never, he said, you should be dead. He said, that thing should have blown, it should have exploded. He said, I don't understand why I didn't. I didn't either until I got back home. About that time, it was probably about 7.30 in the morning. On that following Sunday, Joanna Fields meets me at the foyer here. And she said, Pastor, what was going on about 7.30 on Friday morning or whatever day it was? And I said, Friday? I said, she said, no, what? what?" Then it dawned on me, and I I told her the story. I said, why do you ask? She said, because I was getting Jr. breakfast. And she said, I came out the door about 7.30, and she said, I stopped in my tracks and said, Jr. We need to pray for our pastor right now. And they stopped what they were doing, and they prayed for me. Don't tell me that prayers don't work. See, a lot of people would try to make, uh, try to explain all of that away. I'm just simply telling you, their prayers helped me. I should not be here. My family should not be here. That we should have been a story on the news. But because the lady was taking her breakfast out on the patio to her husband, said, Jr., we got to stop and pray for our pastor right now. Don't ever discount your prayers. Paul said, your prayers help me. I want you to stand with me. Listen, you think about how many, how many times prayer has helped you. I believe heaven, we're going to get to see all those things that happen in heaven. We'll never know. We'll never know until we get to heaven how many times prayers of others have rescued us. I believe that when we stand there and all the secrets are revealed, we're going to find out that, you know what, we would have fallen had somebody not prayed for us. We're going to find out we would have given up had someone not prayed for us. We would have made a dumb decision had someone not prayed for us. We would have given in to temptation had someone not prayed for us. We would have retaliated against someone had someone not prayed for us. We would have crumbled under the pressure had someone not prayed for us. We would have filed for divorce had someone not prayed for us. Paul said, you help me. We ought to pray for others. And then we ought to give thanks when prayers are answered. See, the thing is, we only have two choices when it comes to the hardships of life. We can suffer with God or we can suffer without God. That's it. I can suffer with him or I can suffer without him. I can suffer by myself or I can suffer with the people of God. And it's our choice. Again, as I close tonight, as you and I receive comfort, listen, those things that, are, that you're going through, they're not, ju- they're not just about you. He didn't allow those things just to allow those things. There's somebody in your path. There's somebody that you're going to meet. There, there, there's something, some purpose to it. Otherwise, it would not be happening. Paul said, when it happens, the comfort you receive, now you pass on to somebody else. Listen, we're all in this crazy, mixed-up world together, suffering and hurting, and we need to bear one another's burdens. I want you to bow with me as we close in prayer tonight. Online, if you'll, if you'll comment, I, I, I want to pray with you as well. But I'm just going to ask this. How many of you here tonight say, you know what, Pastor, I am going through something. I am going through some tough times right now. But I want to be able to use that, like you're talking about. I want to be comforted of the Lord, and then I, in turn, want to be a comfort I don't want my stuff just to, I I know it didn't come just to come. 
I know I'm not going through it just to go through it. So I want God to help me find that purpose so that I now can show others and comfort them. If that's you tonight, maybe you're here and say, Pastor, I'm going through some things. I need to be upheld tonight. Just slip you in right, right back down. Amen. Amen. May the comforter come. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I love you and I thank you. Lord, just sharing that story once again just reminds me of your great love. Lord, I know there are times when, Lord, we're going through the fire and we say things out of frustration, maybe out of fear. Lord, when we get time to think about it, we we realize how how ridiculous it is because you've been good to us. You're a good, good Father. That's who you are. And we are loved by you. Lord, thank you for the comfort that you give to us. Thank you for faithful people who pray for us because they help us with their prayers. Lord, I pray for each person here tonight and online. I pray first and foremost for those who are going through the fire right now. Lord, right now there may be no rhyme or reason to anything that's going on. Lord, the situation they find themselves in presently, Lord, may have no no rationality to it whatsoever. But, Lord, I pray that we will trust the one who raises the dead. Lord, that we would put our confidence in the one who raises the dead rather than try to find it through our self-reliance. May we trust you. And, Father, I pray that you would surround us with people not to brag about one-upmanship, but to comfort us because they walk through the same thing. And, Lord, as we are healed, we in turn will comfort those that you put into our pathway. Lord, help us to understand there are things that are accomplished through seasons of affliction that we it will never be accomplished otherwise. And, Father, I pray that we would learn to cast our burdens upon you, and I, would, I pray that we would learn to trust you with all of our heart and lean not to our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge you, and you direct our steps. We may not, we may not always understand why you step where you step, but, Lord, may we always be willing to follow and to trust you. And, Father, I pray you'll go with us tonight and comfort us. Lord, those who mourn, those who weep, comfort. Lord, let the paraclete come alongside and be that ever-present help in our time of trouble. Now go with us tonight, I pray. Give us a wonderful, restful night as we rest in the fact that you are a comforter and you have come. Give us a great night tonight. Bring us on Sunday, Shudu Terry, on Friend Day. Pack this place out with people that need Jesus. And Lord, come and do your work of grace among us. I love and bless each one now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you and I love you.